After more than 30 years at the National Institutes of Health, my next guest has been named for an award of a different sort. The Senior Executives Association has given her its 2023 Spirit of Excellence Award for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke Executive Officer Marianne Sofranco joins me now. Ms. Sofranco, good to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. And let's begin with your main job, and that is executive officer of the Institute. What does the executive officer do? It sounds like you keep the trains running for the scientists. <laughs> for sure. So I would say that the executive officer role is really the infrastructure that does support the science that's done at NINDS. We basically support all of the administrative services from funding uh, the science to purchasing the supplies and equipment needed for the science to ensuring that our uh, investigators can travel and making sure that the funding goes out to our extramural investigators. So we do all the administrative work behind the scenes to keep things moving forward and advancing the science. There's something about NIH that keeps people there for entire careers or decades at a time, isn't there? I think so. I think it's the mission, right? You know, how can you not get excited about the mission of really moving science forward and the whole bench to bedside concept where we actually are doing the research on site as well as funding it in our extramural communities. And then you see that translate into health improvements across our nation and across the world. So it's a really exciting mission for sure. All right. So let's get to the SEA award that you got, the Senior Executives Association, the Spirit of Excellence for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. I know that's an administrative policy word, and it's sort of pasted all over the place. What does it mean to you at the Institute and in your work? Yeah, in my work at NIH, I also wear another hat, and that hat is the business liaison to our Project Search program. And Project Search is really a program that is a training-to-work program for young adults with disabilities. So being able to really spearhead and lead that program as part of the business partner at NIH is really, really rewarding. I mean, we have our numbers in that program are pretty substantial. Over the 13 years the program has been at NIH, we have had over 100 interns that have come through the program. The program, as I mentioned, is really a, a training to work program where we, as the business liaison piece, provide rotational opportunities. So really on the job training for interns. And it is 30 week program where they get three, in addition to classroom activities, they get three rotational opportunities to really learn skills, kind of hone skills so that they are really ready to work at the end of that program. Not everyone gets hired, but our numbers are really high. We have about a 78% higher rate out of that program. And so really being able to bring those young adults into the work environment is amazing. And it, it truly diversifies our work environment in so many different ways. What are the techniques and strategies you have for getting the raw material in, the people themselves, to the program? How do you reach out? We are one of the partners in that three-pronged program. We actually partner with SEEK, which is our local adult rehabilitation partner, as well as Ivy Mount. And there's actually a process by which people apply to be part of this program. And the program, we have some sister programs, and one in Montgomery County with the government and one at the Smithsonian in D.C. And so we partner with them to bring each about six interns per rotation cycle into the program. So it, it's usually somewhere in the ballpark of about 18 to 20 interns per year get selected out of many, many that apply. <laughs> 
Sure. We're speaking with Marianne Sofranco. She's executive officer of the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. She's also the recipient of the 2023 Spirit of Excellence Award for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility from the Senior Executives Association. And the idea of disabilities or those with disabilities, that itself has become a wider field in recent years, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, the goal of the program that we were just talking about, Project Search, is not only to ensure that, you know, young adults with disabilities are trained so that they can be employable, but also that program actually teaches life skills so that we are creating an environment where people can start to live on their own and have the life skills to do so. So it's really a comprehensive program to support this young adult population. And we understand, you know, for many years, the government has hired people that are sight impaired or blind or hearing impaired or deaf. And we understand the types of accommodations, especially technically, but also socially that have to be made for people like that. But lately, and this kind of relates to the Institute itself, the neurodiversity has come into the lexicon and people that are neurodiverse. Tell us the scope of that, what it means and how those people get accommodated. Well, you know, at NIH in general, we provide accommodations across the board for any staff who need them. So there's the process by which they can go through to get accommodations, and it's through our equity, diversity, and inclusion office. And I think that NIH is probably one of the best employers out there looking across our organization to see how we can accommodate people so that we can diversify our our staffing population. And, you know, those accommodations range, as you mentioned, from software that helps someone who can't see as well as others to software where someone can speak into it. We provide anyone that needs an accommodation. Um, We provide equipment. We provide chairs, furniture. Whatever the need is, we definitely go above and beyond in trying to make sure that we can accommodate our staff. But someone who might have autism at certain levels or a type of neurodiverse or neurodisability, I don't know what the correct word is, but... Intellectual disabilities. That for sure was the focus of Project Search. Most of our interns that actually come through that program are intellectually disabled. So being able to match their skill set with the needs that we have. And, you know, we actually have employment coaches on site who can look at our processes and break them down so that they can identify bits and pieces of processes that then the interns can do. And that actually frees up some of our other staff's time to do things at a different level. So, you know, it's a win-win. We're able to take activities off the plates of staff that can work at a higher level and identify those activities and figure out really effective ways for the interns to plug and play there. Is it also so that people that might have intellectual disabilities have like super capabilities in very narrow areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. We definitely find that some of our interns that come through the program have unique skills and we're able to tap into those skills and figure out how to make them work. I mean, we have one intern currently who is really amazing with data. Although he struggles in some other areas, he's able to um, manipulate data, analyze data, and provide really good, solid data platforms so that then someone with the expertise can kind of summarize that and put out a really nice product with the data that's being mined there. So, you know, we definitely try to hone in. We have experts. Um, we have instructors and project search employment consultants who are able to really work with the interns to 
tap into what their unique skills are, as well as train and teach them new skills. So it's a really nice program where we're able to match up interns with positions that really fit their skill set. It sounds like you have two passions then, one for the work on behalf of the Institute itself and the other for this program that really benefits all of NIH. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I started out in administration at NIH, and I've been there doing this work for over 30 years. But for sure, Project Search is a passion of mine, and I love to see positive outcomes. And, you know, we work really hard with our rehabilitation provider, as well as our instructors from Ivy Mount to make the program really successful. And thus far, we're continuing to expand. The program originally was uh, founded in the clinical center at NIH. And, you know, it was, uh, as you can imagine, pretty hospital-centric in terms of hospital operations really lend themselves well to most of the skills that you're going to see. But we have expanded it into the institutes, and we've tapped into that unique skill set that you've talked about with some of the interns to be able to do work that is, you know, uh, at a higher level. And so for sure a passion, love to see it grow, love to see it be successful. Marianne Safranco is Executive Officer of the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Thanks so much for joining me. No, thank you so much. Great to be here and always lovely to talk about the program. Always excited to do that. All right. And she's the recipient of the Senior Executives Association for its 2023 Spirit of Excellence Award for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective. We get those different ideas and experiences 
And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I... I I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, Uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, Is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user, as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um... This is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, Makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. 
and I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision, and it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, Chief People Officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title, Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year 
and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.